So our sermon text this morning is Matthew 7, verses 1 to 4. So these are the words of God. Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounced, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Let's go to the Lord with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. It is a blessing and a gift to us. Father, we say together, where would we be without your word, for through it, Lord, you shepherd us, you lead us, and you train us in righteousness. So, Lord, thank you for your word. And, Father, we ask you now to re-speak the truth of your word to us this day. By your Holy Spirit, we ask, would you illuminate your word to our hearts and change us through it. Transform us through it. We ask all of this in the name of our great Savior, Jesus, and everyone said together, amen. If someone were to ask you, what is the most frequently committed and least frequently detected sin that good Christian people commit? What would you say? How would you respond? Perhaps perhaps impatience, ingratitude, or envy come to mind. Or maybe it's pride, selfishness, or gossip. There are certainly a number of worthy candidates for the honor of most frequently committed, least frequently detected sin. When this, uh, when this Memorial Day weekend is, is over, I will have completed 20 years in pastoral ministry. And I'm thankful for 20 years of God's faithfulness to me and my family in that. And if someone were to ask me, after 20 years of ministry, Chris, what sin do you think is most frequently committed and least frequently detected, I would answer immediately by saying it's this one. It's the sin that Jesus addresses right here in this text. The sin of making critical judgments. I'd say this for a few reasons. First, over the years, I am sure... I personally have committed this sin many more times than I've ever been convicted of it. Secondly, almost every time that I've counseled married couples and others in conflict, I've observed one or both parties sinfully judge one another, but then 
honestly, they don't, they don't even realize in the process of the conflict that they're, that they're doing that. Third, in every local church I've ever been part of, I've seen critical judgments at times and in varying degrees disturb relational peace and disrupt congregational unity. And it's always, always sad when that happens. Because this sin, sin of sinful judging, is more inconspicuous than most, it is not obvious or glaring, we do not always detect it. Yet it is my observation that few things, few things undermine oneness of heart in marriages, families, and churches like uncharitable judgments acted upon in ways that compromise unity. Gossip, slander, relational withdrawal would be some of those ways. That said, I've seen the opposite dynamic take place as well. I've seen this opposite dynamic take place in our church. When Christians refuse to sinfully judge, when in love they believe the best, when they freely give the benefit of the doubt, that tends to promote joyful unity. That greatly glorifies God. And beautifully adorns this gospel that we sing about and we proclaim. This is true in marriages, families, and in local churches. Brothers and sisters, the Bible is clear. And in our passage, Jesus is very clear. Believers must not. Indeed, they dare not sinfully judge one another. That is the main theme of our text. Believers must not, indeed they dare not, sinfully judge one another. That is the main theme of our text. And I trust as we go along you will see more clearly how the text itself uh, bears this lesson out. So let us now consider a survey of the text. In verse 1, Jesus issues a very clear command. Please look there. Judge not that you not be judged. This command is given as part of the Sermon on the Mount, where among other things, Jesus instructs his disciples on how to conduct themselves in their relationships with others. So earlier in chapter 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek. You remember that, right? In the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, the merciful, the peacemakers, etc. He also, in chapter 5, exhorts his disciples to not yield to sinful anger or to lust. Later in chapter 7, after our text, Jesus says, Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So you'll notice these these are all relationship-building, friendship-strengthening, unity-preserving exhortations on the part of our Lord. And here at the beginning of chapter 7, we need to understand what's taking place. We have more of the same. 
more relationship building, unifying, strengthening exhortations. Jesus says to his original disciples and all of us, this is how I want you to conduct yourselves in your relationships with one another. So this is instruction from the Lord. <laughs> spoken a while ago, but spoken today. Respoken today by the Holy Spirit through his word. And the word is, it's right there. Verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. Now, to be clear, Jesus is not saying don't make any judgments ever at all. That would be absurd. Not to mention it's not in keeping with other scriptures which command believers to discern and make judgments of various kinds. Sadly, the culture uses this verse and misuses this verse all the time. And you've seen this, haven't you? They say, look, you Christians, when you call sin, sin, you're going against what Jesus says. So, for example, when Christians say sexual immorality and deviance and all of its various forms is wrong, the culture says, hey, wait a minute, foul. (laughs) Jesus says don't judge. And look, you're judging. You are not doing what Jesus says. I think most of us in this room know that's erroneous. That's wrong. It's that in and of itself is a foul. That's unbiblical. God calls us, He calls us as believers to judge rightly. He, in fact, commands us to call sin, sin, and invite people to confess their sins, repent, receive God's lavish forgiveness, and come under His Lordship and reign. So, Jesus is not saying here, in verse 1, don't judge at all. What Jesus is warning us against, however, is the severe, uncharitable, harsh, critical judgment of others. What he is warning us against is a love of finding fault. What he is warning against is believing the worst of our brother, our sister, rather than the best that the situation will allow. Such a critical person judges others on the basis of a standard that's so exacting, so unreasonable, that the critic himself would never want to be judged by it. And Jesus says to that person, end of verse 2, you can glance down there, he's essentially saying, my paraphrase, watch out. Because if you judge others that severely, be ready for God to take that same standard of judgment you are applying to other people and be ready for God to apply that to you. As believers, God doesn't condemn us when we sin. Amen? Praise the Lord. He doesn't condemn us and judge us eternally for our sin because we're in Christ. And that's the gospel and we're forgiven and it's, it, it's a glorious thing. We celebrate that even and in a message like this where we're talking about critical judgments. We celebrate that all of our critical judgments have been forgiven. Praise him for it. So as believers, God doesn't condemn us when we sin. However, he does lovingly discipline us. We know that. He's our father. He disciplines us. And here Jesus warns all believers that critical judgments invite God's discipline. 
think that's the principle here, if I'm understanding the correct text correctly. Critical judgments invite God's discipline. Kind of like God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's a principle there. Critical judgments invite God's discipline. Jesus is clear. If we apply a harsh standard to others, we can expect God to reveal that to us. And one of the ways he often does that is by allowing our own judgments to come back upon us in various ways. On this text, the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, writes, If you judge ill of others, that judgment will sooner or later come home to yourself. It is an old proverb that chickens come home to roost, and so they do, Mr. Spurgeon writes. Uh, Another commentary I was reading, the guy quoted uh, a proverb that says, people who live in glass houses should not throw stones. I I, I found that helpful. (laughs) People who live in glass houses should not throw stones. Very sobering to consider that when I self-righteously and critically judge others, (laughs) I'm that guy. (laughs) Right? I'm that guy in the glass house throwing the stone. Sadly, I've been there before. In verses 3 to 5, Jesus goes on to highlight the extreme hypocrisy and lack of humility that characterizes those who sinfully judge. Those who evaluate others with an eye to critique are those who are far more aware of the speck in their brother or sister's eye than the log in their own. In our familiarity with this parable, I pray that the Lord just helps us to not not miss what what Jesus is saying. The one with the log in their eyes, the one with the critical spirit, the one doing the critiquing. What is the log? Well, it is his sin. And Jesus' point here is, the one dispensing the critique has the larger problem by far than the recipient of it. Why? Why? Well, because he has a log in his eye. He has a log in his eye. He has a great deal of sin in his life, and he cannot see it. And he can't see it. He can't see it because of hypocritical, self-righteous pride, which blinds him. So the critic is an expert at identifying sin in others, but cannot, cannot see his own. And it's not that the man with the speck in his eye doesn't have a problem. He most certainly does. It's just that the critic is ill-equipped to help his brother to deal with it. He hasn't learned to deal rightly with his own sins. So how can he possibly help others with theirs? So Jesus says to the critical person, "Get get the log out of your own eye. In other words, deal with your own sin. And then as you deal with yourself and your own sin, and you're aware of what a sinner you are, then you're going to be in a position to turn around and actually help your brother, your sister, with the speck that is in their eye. The lesson is clear. Our ability to help others with their sin hinges on humble self-evaluation and repentance of our own. I've got to see the log in my own eye. 
I must be more aware of my own sin and seek to deal with it before I can expect to be of any use and any help to someone else as they're dealing with their sin problems. So that's a summary of the text. Again, the main point is believers must not, indeed dare not, sinfully judge one another. So the question is, how do we practically apply this in our lives? How do we avoid making critical judgments? Well, a primary way is by cultivating the habit of judging others charitably instead of uncharitably. So in our text, we've seen this. Jesus clearly warns his disciples and all Christians against something, right? He warns us against a critical spirit. He warns us against making uncharitable judgments. So there is a put off here. Yet in order to effectively put off an attitude, a mindset, a disposition that critically judges others, well, that sinful attitude must be, must be replaced with something. As most of you well know, in Scripture, sanctification, growth in godliness, involves not just putting off, but putting on as well. So we put off pride. We put off pride, and by grace and in the power of the Spirit, we humble ourselves. And we put on humility. We put off lying. We put off lying and we put on truth-telling. We put off laziness. And in its place, what do we put on? Again, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in dependence on Christ, we put off laziness and put on diligence. We put off lust, right? And we put on purity. We put off stinginess and we put on generosity. And we put off critical judgments. We put off critical judgments and we put on charitable judgments. Charitable is just an old-fashioned way of saying loving. So we put off unloving judgments of others and we put on loving judgments. The Apostle Paul famously said, it's quoted often in weddings, Love bears all things. And what comes next? You can say it out loud. Believes all things. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The great reformer John Calvin notes that to believe all things does not mean we check our discernment at the door and fail to bring right judgment to situations, but rather biblical love Biblical love requires us to judge people and situations, in his words, with simplicity and kindness. That means love compels us. Love compels us to lean towards simple and kind explanations for why people act or behave in the way that they do, rather than negative ones. Puritan Matthew Henry likewise says that someone who believes all things listen carefully, is apt to believe well of all, to entertain a good opinion of them when there is no appearance to the contrary. Nay, to believe well when there may 
be some dark appearances if the evidence of ill be not clear. Here Henry points out very insightfully that our fundamental disposition, our fundamental disposition should be as Christians, as believers in the Lord Jesus, should be to think well of others when we have no reason not to. And even when it seems that we may have reason to think negatively, we should still aim to think well of that person, to think good of that person, until the facts definitively prove a negative assessment and conclusion is warranted in the situation. This is just, this really is just basic teaching here on Christian love, Christian love applied to our judgments and to our ethics of speech. Biblically, the Christian ethic, the ethic that applies to the person that God has redeemed by his blood is this. It's believe the best, believe the best until it's plainly obvious that you cannot do so. Believe the best until it's plainly obvious that you cannot do so. And if you doubt that 1 Corinthians 13 proves the point, consider what Jesus said a first few verses later in Matthew 7. He said, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For, he says, this is the law and the prophets. So I ask, I ask you to consider, how do you want other people to judge you? When something you say or something that you do is called into question, do you want your spouse, your children, your fellow church members, your co-workers, your followers on social media, do you want them to lean into charitable explanations for your words, actions, and behavior? Or do you want to them, when your behavior, something you say is in doubt, do you want them to lean into a negative potential explanation for why you said that or why that you did that? The answer is clear. I want people, I want you, if something I say or do is in question, what did Chris mean by that? I hope you and my family and others would lean into a positive, charitable explanation for that. Because making judgments is unavoidable, it's just part of life and the way that we are wired as humans. In order to obey the words of Jesus in our text and to not judge sinfully, it is absolutely necessary that we cultivate the habit of doing the opposite, (laughs) of judging others charitably rather than critically. And it is critical that we cultivate this habit in every single aspect of our lives, in the home, the church, the workplace, online, everywhere. So let's now consider how we might do this. In each of these areas, we'll start with marriage and family. In counseling married couples over the years, I've noticed that critical judgments frequently contribute to marital conflicts. The way this happens is is a husband or wife will really honestly believe the worst and assign sinful motives to something their spouse said or did or failed to say or do. And what happens? This causes causes strife. One spouse will say to the other, you did this, you said this because. And then what follows the because is a critical 
interpretation. The problem is that while we may know our spouses well, and those of us who've been married a long time, we know our spouses well. While we may know our spouses well, only God has full knowledge of heart motives. And Scripture, Scripture gives us no right to assume the negative. Do you hear that? Scripture gives us no right to assume the negative and then judge accordingly. Love believes all things and hopes all things. So in order for love and unity and intimacy and romance to flourish in a marriage, well, that must be the disposition and tenor of our hearts. Always. Every day. All the time. No days off, married couples, from charitably judging our spouses. Ken Sandy wrote an excellent article on this topic Uh, which was discussed last Saturday with the care group leaders, actually. Um, Judging Others, the Danger of Playing God. Amazing article. It's a great article. His article, uh, Ken's article, has significantly influenced my understanding of this issue regarding charitable judgments, and it's influenced this message as well. The title of Ken Sandy's article, again, it's Judging Others, the Danger of Playing God. It speaks to what so often happens When we judge others. When we judge others critically, we are in effect playing God. We are acting as if we can peer into the hearts of others and know their motives. When the reality is we are not God and so we don't know people's hearts. We can't see into them. And when it comes to marriage, critical judgments, critical judgments, constantly assuming the worst, believing the worst, putting a negative construction on actions and things said, that makes for very unhappy marriages. Yet the opposite is true as well. Charitable judgments, believing the best, consistently believing the best until facts prove otherwise, (laughs) makes for contented, unified, happy marriages because the air and the aroma of the marriage is just love. I'm leaning into the best, believing the best about you. Even when I see shortcomings and failures, I'm leaning towards positive explanations. And seeking to come alongside of you in your weaknesses. That's, that's a charitable disposition. So may God help the marriages of our church to be marked by that kind of graciousness. That kind of love. When it comes to um, parent-child relationships and sibling relationships, it's, a, it's important that we think about how this applies here too. It's important that we judge one another lovingly in this area as well. Every family has squabbles, right? I heard one preacher say one time, you complain that you have a dysfunctional family? We all have dysfunctional families. <laughs> that was a good point. There's a sense where that's, that's true. Every family has squabbles and conflicts, and it's not uncommon for families to experience Relational discord in part due to this, to critical judgments. You can have families where grown siblings and parents are talking to one another about one another negatively. And no one stops to think, is this right that I'm talking this way? Do I have all the facts? Is this a critical judgment? Is there another plausible, more charitable explanation for my brother, my sister's, 
my parents' behavior than the one that I'm thinking and communicating? If you have dynamics like that at all in your family, your immediate family, or extended family, I would just want to encourage you, don't participate in making and spreading negative judgments. Just make it something, I'm not going to be a person who participates in this, in making judgments about mom, dad, siblings, and talking about that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to spread that. Um, instead of that, be a promote. I want to encourage us, all of us. Let's be promoters of unity, and seek to foster loving judgments in our families. And where you know we're in conversations and <laughs> we're hearing family members potentially pass along critical judgments of other family members. Let's be the kind of Christians, the kind of believers who will graciously put an end to that and not and not allow it um, because God wants to, God wants us this is what it means to be a Christian and to love others in the way Christ has loved us another place we can be vulnerable to making critical judgments is in the context of the church it's very important we take Jesus words here and try to press them into the details in each of these areas so that we don't miss actually applying what he's trying to trying to tell us so the church, it's another area we, where we can be vulnerable to making these judgments. In this fallen world, all relationships with other people provide opportunities for negative judgments. So it's important in the months and years ahead, if we're going to move forward with the kind of unity my dad spoke of last week in his sermon, if we're going to have that kind of unity, well, then we must be committed to loving one another by judging one another charitably. We must be committed to believing the best of one another. In this, I should note, pastors are particularly vulnerable to being critically and negatively judged because of their public role. By way not of correction, but of preventative maintenance. (laughs) Not correction, but preventative maintenance. I remind you, All of what you well know, one of the things that is most harmful and destructive to the unity of local churches is people spreading critical judgments regarding their pastors. This kind of activity undermines trust and it absolutely cripples a pastoral team's ability to lead. Some of you have been in situations in churches where you've you've seen this unpack in really disastrous ways. Just a silly example. A church member might say something like, the reason the pastor didn't greet me on Sunday is because is because <laughs> he doesn't care about the flock. He walked right past me. He doesn't care about people. He's not a pastor. Well, is this person sure the pastor who's He's saying that, doesn't care for the flack. Could it be that he was distracted by a legitimate concern or had something, some pressing matter on his mind or had some other ministry priority that he had to attend to? Brothers and sisters, whether it's a pastor or care group leader or deacon or fellow church member, we owe it to God. We owe it to God to make it 
to make charitable judgments of one another, to lean into judging one another in the most charitable way until facts prove otherwise. By the way, that doesn't mean we cannot have legitimate questions and concerns and then voice those concerns. However, I remind you, there is a godly way to do that. There's a godly way to voice concerns, and there's an ungodly way. The ungodly way is to judge critically without all the facts and then spread that critical assessment to others. I trust you know, this is just review here, uh, that sinful, it divides, it destroys the unity of the body of Christ. In keeping with Jesus' instruction in Matthew 5 and in Matthew 18, the godly way to voice concerns is to voice the concern directly to the person you have the concern about. It's to humbly ask them questions such as, this is my understanding of the situation. Is it correct? Am I missing something? And then to bring the observation, concern, or correction. Correction is a biblical category. Bring the correction from that place of humility and humble inquiry. And so I just want to appeal here. I know this is everyone's hearts to do this here, but I want to appeal to everyone here on the authority of God's word to be people who protect this church. Be a person who protects. I just appeal to you. Be a person who protects this church, Grace Community Church, from the destruction that can happen when critical judgments are made and then they are passed to other people. May none of us make and spread critical judgments, but instead promote unity and love by protecting the good name and rep- reputation of our pastors and fellow church members. And when you hear someone perhaps passing along a critical judgment, okay, this is a hard one, I encourage you to not just let it go, okay? If you hear someone, you're in a conversation, someone's passing along a critical judgment of another person, I would encourage you, and this takes courage, to not let it go, but instead to graciously ask them, do you think, and humbly, right? Because we we don't want to judge them either. Do you think you could be making a critical judgment here? Are you viewing that person as charitably as you should? How about this one? Should you be sharing this with me at all? Or should you be going and keeping with Matthew 5, Matthew 18, going directly to that person? I thank God, brothers and sisters, for your heart to do this. You love Jesus. You know, I know you love this church like LaVon loves this church. And like he expressed that. Your heart's for the unity of the church. So thank you for the way many of you have done this over the years. May God help us to continue for the unity of the church. Again, I take you back to last week's sermon so that we can persevere together for years to come in unity. Let's continue to apply this in the church. The workplace is another place where this applies. And in most workplaces, critical judgments abound, right? Are you with me? In most workplaces, critical judgments abound. And one way you can shine the light of Christ in the workplace is to do what you can to promote charitable judgments. So if a fellow employee is talking to you about a supervisor or coworker and putting a negative construction on their words or actions, when there is a plausible, more positive alternative explanation, consider doing what you can to put that positive explanation, that possible potential positive explanation out there. People are not used to this. People are not used to being in context where others are just committed to speaking well 
of others as best they possibly can. And it greatly adorns the gospel and is a testimony to the work of Christ in our lives. When in context that we find ourselves with unbelievers, we are always looking to speak to speak what's good and what's lovely, what's, what's true, and speak uh, charitable judgments. It also builds trust because people see, hey, you're not someone who's looking to backbite. That's what, the, in secular work context, that's just what you see so often in the politics of the secular work. Backbiting, people speaking about one another to get, get position. And when others see that you're refusing to engage in that, that builds trust. All right. Another key place I think we need to be particularly careful is with, with respect to our conduct online. This is the last area I want to I cover here and just think about with you. As you are well aware, so much of social media and the online world is characterized by individuals making negative judgments of others based on partial or inaccurate information and passing along those negative assessments and conclusions to whoever is going to read them or listen, listen to them. Such communication often results in slander. It often results in slander. That is half-truths or lies that are repeated. You don't need me to tell you this. The internet is replete with this kind of behavior. And sadly, the Christian community is not always particularly discerning of this. It gets to my comment at the beginning about this sin most frequently committed that we're not aware that we are committed. Uninformed by biblical standards for speech, Christians at times unwittingly, and I'm I'm seeking to be charitable there because I think that's what it is, uninformed by biblical standards for speech, Christians at times unwittingly spread slanderous critical judgments of other believers on podcasts, blogs, and social media. It's very important that we're discerning of this in the church as believers so that we don't participate. The the bad fruit of this, the consequence of this, is reputations of good men and women can be and have been irreparably harmed. I trust you agree. This is grieving. It is tragic. It is evil. And it should not be so among the people of God who've been redeemed by a gracious Savior who has so loved us. Ought we, as First John says, love one another as we have been loved? I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, even when we are online, this book applies. Even when we are online, Scripture applies. And as we've seen today, Scripture requires that we seek to judge others as charitably as we reasonably can until the facts prove otherwise. And when we don't have all the facts about a particular situation, which is often, we are wise to hold our opinions, to hold our opinions about the situations we read about loosely. And we are wise to lean, because I think Scripture requires this of us, to lean towards charity and our thoughts of others. And then we must also refrain from spreading negative suspicions based on partial information. 
And that's, that's what I think often happens. People treat their negative suspicions as definitive conclusions, and then they pass them along as such. And people are really hurt. People are grievously wounded and hurt. So may we never have 1 Corinthians 13 far from our minds, even even on the Internet. So let's bring this home. The band can join me on stage. This morning we've talked about what is perhaps (laughs) the most frequently committed and least frequently detected sin good Christian people commit, (laughs) critically judging others. And we've talked about how this sin can play out in the home, in the workplace, and online. And here's, here's my hope for this time today. I hope that as a fruit of our time, we would all, myself included, myself included, I'm putting myself at the top of the list here, hope, hope that as a fruit of our time, we all would be more attuned to ways that we uncharitably judge others that we would be more frequently convicted in a good way, in a gracious way, by the spirit of this sin, repent, and repent means turn, right? Turn from the sinful judgments, the negative critical judgments, and turn towards seeking to make positive, charitable judgments towards our spouses, our children, our family members, brothers, sisters, church members, even things we read about. The unity, the joy, and the peace of our marriages and families hinges on obedience to the words of Christ. Judge not lest you be judged. So much hinges on obedience. So much of the Christian community thriving and being a witness in this lost world of a different way to do relationships hinges on us taking our Lord Jesus seriously. And taking this word to heart. So this morning, if you're convicted of ways that you have judged somebody, I mean, I I can't prepare a sermon like this and not be convicted. So (laughs) I trust most of us maybe have experienced a level of of conviction. If you're convicted in ways you've sinfully judged or maybe have a pattern of judging a spouse, a child, a parent, a co-worker, fellow church member, I just want to encourage you to take time, even as we wrap up here, to ask the Lord to forgive you. And appropriate, ask that other person to to forgive you. Sometimes people don't know that we're sinfully judging them, but people pick up, you know this, don't you? They pick up on our spirit. (laughs) Something's not wrong with that that guy, that that woman. They They pick up People don't just pick up on the words we say. They pick up on our attitudes. And so I just want to encourage you. You may have someone you need to talk to after this and ask their forgiveness. The good news is the Lord is merciful. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He is a glorious Savior. He is eager to pour out grace and forgiveness and mercy and to forgive us of all of our uncharitable judgments. I'm so sad when I consider how many situations, how many times when I really slow down and think about that I've sinfully judged others. I'm 
I'm so grateful he forgives me. But not only that, he wants to help me. <laughs> Can you believe that? Whatever your sin struggle is today, whatever sin patterns you may be dealing with, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We're new creations of the Lord. He wants to help us to walk in these ways, and I trust the Lord wants to help us to walk in charitable judgments towards one another for his glory and our good. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for re-speaking it to our hearts. Lord, forgive us for our uncharitable judgments and help us to grow. Forgive us and help us to grow in making charitable judgments. Lord, we know you want our homes and our church to be places characterized by love. Your church is to be a place of love. Christian marriages are to be a place of, of love. Christian families are a place that you intend to be a place of love. Lord, help us to judge one another charitably so we can be increasingly like that. Father, we trust you want to help us. We thank you for your help in advance. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, amen. Let's rejoice in the gospel together as we end our time.